I mean, I don't even know like what sort of things we'll talk about tonight. I have coach fatigue. It's <laughs> funny. Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 15th, and the skies opened and the earth quaked and the white smoke finally came from the top of the McHugh Center, and Virginia has a football coach. Tony Elliott introduced... At a press conference on Monday, announced in a um, press release and tweets and such on Friday, um, we talked a lot about him on the podcast, and then there was a little bit of time there was a little rocky. Um, we did not do an emergency podcast in part because we had just talked a lot about Tony Elliott, but we are going to talk primarily tonight about sort of the ending of that search and certainly his introductory press conference on Monday. Um Media Horde did a great job with questions, and I am saying that very tongue-in-cheek. Um, we will also get to signing day, which is one of the strangest on record, for sure, um, for a variety of different reasons. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Going good. I'm hoping we only have to record once this week. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Two days on the board, two days on Twitter. <sighs> and uh, up in uh, Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber also on the program. What's going on, my dude? Yeah, I think if uh, anything else would have happened, I think this podcast would have hit a snag um, in in negotiations for a, a Wednesday <laughs> podcast. But yeah, glad that that's over with. Still catching up on sleep at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, unless you've blocked me. <laughs> oh, that's great. And then uh, in Charlottesville, uh, managing editor Damon Dillman is on the podcast. Damon, you have survived your first coaching search as, as on the website. What lessons have you learned? uh in your in the last uh what week and change uh hedge your bets <laughs> <laughs> don't declare don't declare it's a done deal until it's a done deal until uh, even, even if all the signs are pointing there even if all the signs point in that direction yes uh less is more it's better to be right than to be first all of those cliches uh, I think we all got a couple of reminders of those kinds of things over the course of the last, has it been a, a year and a half since Bronco stepped down? Is that how long it's been? Sure. <laughs> it certainly yeah. feels that way. Yeah. At Damon Dillman on and, uh, uh, Twitter. Cavs corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional uh, witty banter. All right. So Tony Elliott was the guy we talked about. We, we did our best to, to, to leave us ourselves some wiggle room. Um, and, Man, it it felt at least a, for a little while there. It felt like we we should have left ourselves more wiggle room, um, but ultimately, you know, he, he he takes the job and at his press conference Monday sounded 
resolute. He he did not sound like somebody who had been waffling. He did not sound like somebody who, um, who maybe was you know unsure at any point. I I think what we need to what we need to think of with with him and, and certainly with the program going forward is that he is someone who does look at the options and. Um, I'm going to harken back. I think it was Dave said this in our text thread during the press conference, but essentially that a lot of what Tony had to say Monday sounded like Bronco, but in a different sort of more human tone and, you know, kind of like it, like it, it was, it was, Great. Delivered, no, I'm blocked. <laughs> it, it, it was delivered uh, in, a, in such a way that made it, um, you know, it was delivered in such a way that made it more accessible, right? A lot of what he talked about, um, a lot of what he talked about was like somewhat familiar in a way, but in a, but it was from a different place, right? The angle was a little bit different. So let's, let's just, let's just start with some general thoughts from the introductory press conference. Dave, you tweeted a picture, uh, excuse me, a picture. You, you tweeted a, a gif of, um, what's his name? Colossus or whatever his name is running through walls. Yeah, that's right, walls. So I, yeah. I, you also, I think had one uh, of a bunch of people standing and applauding. So, <laughs> you know, I think spoiler alert, Dave was happy with, you know, with with Tony Elliott winning the press conference, but now that you've had a couple of days to sort of let uh-huh. all process, and and you've obviously seen what happened on signing day, which we will discuss later, give me some general thoughts about Tony Elliott's introductory press conference on Monday, the first outside for for the Virginia program, I believe. Yeah, the outside part was weird, but um, look, I thought the press conference was good. I I do think as someone who's watched the the Bronco you know hiring presser more than once, um, look say what you want about how it ended with Bronco. And I'm sure we're going to say plenty. Um, his initial press conference was super impressive. Like he, he didn't shy away from saying this needs to be fixed. This needs to be fixed. So I've, I've watched it again. So there were a lot of similarities between what he said and what Elliot said. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not jabbing too hard at Bronco, but yeah, just a little more personality. Um, where I got most excited is when he did start answering questions. Say once he stopped, you know, kind of reading what he had prepared. Like I was impressed with what he prepared, um, but I really liked kind of his candor in answering the questions. He didn't kind of beat around the bush. Um, I liked his answers on the facilities a lot. Like I was excited about him. We, we mentioned it at the close of the last podcast before it looked like we might not end up with Elliot. That you know I thought it was a nine out of ten hire because um, you know he's a I see why he was on so many people's short short list, um, and like nothing nothing that he said didn't impress me uh, in in the press conference. I would I would have liked to have known about the numbers thing, but that's just a personal thing. I'm sure it'll come up later. But yeah, I thought it was a um, you know a very impressive impressive day. And then even after the press conference, like the stuff he said to the alumni that we, we heard in the videos they released and what we heard in the interview, what we read in the interviews. Um, I think all that's good and it's heading in the right direction, but it kind of like right now I'm kind of in this weird period. I was trying to come up with an analogy, but my grandmother used to take me Christmas shopping like weeks before Christmas and then give me some of the stuff, but not let me get the good stuff till Christmas. And that kind of feels like where I am now. Like I'm really excited to play with, you know, see what, see what happens with this new toy, but we got to wait a little while to open it up. <laughs> um, Ferber, the fact that you had an offensive-minded football coach for the first time in forever, literally, um, and when when asked what his style was going to be, you know, he initially said, "Look, I want to score and I want to stop people," um, but he, you know, he wants to run the two-back hurry-up sort of spread stuff. And as somebody who has 
watched a you know record-setting quarterback this year, personally, I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. Like, I'm not saying that I don't want to see Brendan Armstrong do what Brendan Armstrong did this year. I, I think one of the things I'm excited about is seeing a team with tempo, is seeing a team that uses its advantages to its advantage, right? Uh, what were your takeaways uh, from from Tony's press conference, and what you know, what sort of what, what sort of film room possibilities are you cooking up over there? Yeah, I mean, I think especially if Brennan comes back, I think you're still going to have to have a pretty like pass heavy attack just because of the transition in the roster and what you have on the team. Right. So anybody who looks at this roster and and what they were able to accomplish this year in the passing game um, and what they really weren't able to accomplish on the ground. I mean, it looks like a team that would be built to continue what they've been doing, keep throwing the ball. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think as far as like film room and, and, digging into like what he did at Clemson. One of the things we're going to have to look at is how he uses running backs, because quite frankly, UVA didn't really use their running backs much at all. Um, in this version of the offense. I mean, when was the last time they had a running back that was like really getting the ball a lot, like Jordan Ellis, I guess. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's been a while. I, I think Elliot's offense will certainly be more geared towards the ground game. Um, especially with, you know, at least one of the sort of rumored hires we've heard on the offensive side of the ball being a ground game guy as well. Um, so I think, you know, how they use those guys, how they use blockers out of the backfield, um, and then also like pass catching running backs. It's another thing that this staff didn't really um, use a whole lot. You know, we, we didn't really see many of those plays in the playbook. Um, even Jordan Ellis, I mean, like he wasn't really a pass catching running back for the most part. So um, that'll definitely be a change. Uh, but I think you can kind of, there's probably some similarities in the offense. Um, one of the big changes would be, uh, and I love to use personnel groupings and pre-snap motions to create advantages. And it was pretty successful, especially in the passing game. Um, Elliot uses more tempo and um, route combinations and stuff like that to create advantages. So um, I, I think it'll be different, but I think there's certainly some similarities. I don't think it's like, completely reinventing the wheel for a quarterback or for offensive players to, to switch systems. So that should be interesting. Obviously what they do on the defensive side of the ball will be much more important um, in the first couple of years. Like we have no idea what the scheme is going to look like, what, you know, what sort of base defense they're going to want to go with who the coordinator is going to be. Um, so I think there's a lot of work to be done there considering how bad the defense was this, this year for the most part. So Certainly work to be done there. I'm excited to see what the offense can do, and, and we're definitely somewhat familiar with it, having seen UVA play against Clemson twice recently. So I'm excited to kind of dig in more on that, you know, as we go through the long offseason. Damon, you of the of the four of us, you were the one who was on the ground in Charlottesville. Um, you you got a chance to see more than just, obviously, the, the press conference showed. Um, I'm just curious if there are any things that you picked up on, what, what sort of um, – what sort of stands out to you, not just from the the press conference as you know televised, um, but also you know just in general, seeing him around different people, um, kind of getting that sort of uh, exposure um, to him in terms of personality, in terms of um, sort of getting the, the measure of somebody. What what stood out to you on Monday? I think it was more of the kind of the same thing you got a sense of when you listen to him talk uh, during the actual introduction. Before he and his family were sitting there. Uh, in the front row before he was introduced and then afterward as they were talking to people and kind of mingling around 
the field, they just seemed relaxed. They just, the whole family seemed relaxed. The kids seemed excited. Uh, his wife seemed pretty relaxed and at ease with the whole thing. She didn't seem nervous with any of it at all. If she was, she hit it really well. And he just, yeah, he just seemed like he was prepared for that moment and not just that moment on the stage answering the questions, but he just seemed like a guy who was in complete control of that moment and, and uh, had been preparing for that moment and, and was ready for it. So yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the words that have been thrown around, like genuine and honest and authentic, they they seem accurate based on that initial impression, uh, not just of the way he conducted himself uh, during the introduction, like I said, but but you could tell as he was talking to people, shaking hands, working the uh, working the field a little bit that that he he was excited and and he was. He was he was working the room for lack of a better way of putting it, and so that that was uh, that was encouraging to see because he, he seems like a guy who is able to connect with people easily. Even going back to on Sunday night, kind of talking and texting with some of the recruits after the Zoom um, when they had that group Zoom on Sunday night, it was kind of the same message from them. They all talked about how how fired up they were to play for him and just the, the message he talked about with his vision and his philosophies and, and how he wanted this program to look moving forward. A lot of the same things we then heard on Monday, they were fired up by that message on Sunday night. So he's, if, if his goal, which I'm assuming one of his goals is to motivate people and, and kind of reignite that fire in people, it's working so far. He's making a strong first impression. And like Dave kind of said at the beginning, now we just have to wait for this holding pattern for the next week and a half or whatever it is until after the bowl game to come to an end. So things can really kick into high gear and we can really see, I mean, I'm sure he'll start lining up his staff and, and we'll start to get a better sense of who they're working on either in the transfer portal or uh, through recruiting through people who still haven't signed yet. But but yeah, he certainly made a strong first impression on just about everybody, it seems like. And that that seemed to be the case beyond what we saw on the podium on the stage on Monday afternoon. Man, I um I feel like, you know, we we sort of talked a lot last week, right? About the fit and the potential there, and certainly, you know. I think I've said this on the show that if you had come to me before Bronco resigned and said, Hey, Bronco's going to resign. Um, and not too long after that, you know, Virginia's going to hire Tony Elliott. I would have been over the moon about it. And because he, I, I thought was clearly the top target on the board. Um, and I, and I think that in hindsight, watching him on Monday, I think one of the things that, that really stuck with me was that he, he doesn't just have sort of an idea of what he wants his program to look like. He, he clearly does. He and Bronco are similar in a lot of different ways. The place where they're different, and I don't mean this as any disrespect to anyone that is, you know, was on Bronco's staff or Bronco himself or anything. When Tony Elliott talks, he sounds, feels, and and seems like a football coach, like an actual football coach. Bronco would talk, and he seemed like a person who was involved in football because he talked about football, but he never felt like a football coach to me. Now, I have said before on this show, and I've said it elsewhere, that you know one of the things I always loved about Bronco was that you know I would hear him talk, and I and I just you just couldn't help but think like, hey man, this guy's got it figured out. But he could be talking about anything, 
right? He could be talking about his immersion in, you know, designing a, a startup that, you know, did X, Y, and Z. Um, Tony Elliott is someone who I think feels authentic in terms of football. And I think that that's when we talk about recruiting, one of the things I think that gets lost in that is it's it's not just about relationships. You, it's not just about sort of making a connection with somebody in their family and 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 being able to um, you know talk about the school that you're that you're that you're coaching for, right? It's also about making them want to come to play at the school that you coach for, right? It, it's about it's not it's not necessarily just selling your vision for what the program could be, but it's also it's also making them comfortable with you as the person at the helm of the ship and that's the thing I think that that I took away maybe more than anything else was that Tony he has a great story and certainly it's one that I think will resonate with a lot of people Um, those of us who work in sports those of us who follow sports you know a lot of a lot of guys who play yes certainly there are a lot of them who have you know sort of what you would call a more traditional sort of background but a lot of these kids have been through some stuff right so a guy who has been through some stuff you know, lived on the streets, you know, his parent, you know, mom dies, he, he goes and, and lives with an aunt, like that's going to resonate with people because everybody can identify with, with pain and struggle, right? It's, it's hard, it's hard to identify with, um, you know, it's hard to identify with, you know, people who've had it easy. And, you know, in some ways, I think one of the, one of the things that didn't work for Bronco was that he, he, he was sometimes inaccessible at least in terms of his personality, in terms of the way he connected with fans, donors, that kind of thing. He was impeccable when it came to explaining this and that. He was really good at obviously designing things. Um, But that passion, that energy, that's something that was different for me. And I think ultimately um, that's what Virginia needs, right? We talked a lot about decks. We talked a lot about the possibility of um, connecting with donors and, um, you know, reigniting the fan base and getting them excited. But, I think Tony Elliott can do that, but in a different way, and especially because he has that pedigree, and that's, you know, that's sort of significant. Um, now, in terms of everything else, Dave, we, we the press conference obviously he, he hit a home run. Um, he seems perfect for UVA in a variety of different ways. Were you surprised at all to hear him talk so much about not just the academic piece of it, but also the whole like model? program like I felt like he really wrote some big checks there that he didn't necessarily need to write in order to win the press conference in order to sort of get the program off the right foot did any of that scare you at all did or or did that actually energize you even more I mean I I think a little bit of both like because look after that after that whirlwind of a coach search I think you know he could have just come out and said I'm your coach I'm glad to be here a lot of fans would have been happy right um but I mean, it makes sense what he said, just knowing his backstory, um, you know, you know, all the, all the issues he had growing up, losing his mom young, kind of being homeless for a while, you know, getting into Clemson as, you know, joining the teams to walk on and becoming like an academic you know, all conference and all American guy. Um, and obviously he's an intelligent guy and his wife is a, uh, you know, a nurse practitioner with a PhD. So that's a smart family. So I understand why, why he said it in that regard, but um, yeah. So I mean, I think it's appropriate and it matches what Virginia's philosophy is. Um, now, you know, it's the introductory press conference. I'm guessing you're not hearing that as much during, during the weekly press conferences leading up to in the season. Um, so, you know, so I'm not too worried about it, but 
look, you, you can't come to Virginia as a head football coach, head basketball coach, or anyone else and deny the academic component. Cause if you don't embrace it in your pitch, it's going to get used against you on the trail. So you've got to like, you know, it's there. Virginia is a tough academic school. Um, and, and I think, you know, if it's not acknowledged, it, it's just exposing a big weakness, but yeah, I mean, overall, the, the guy's just impressive. Um, some guys are going to connect to that and some aren't like not everyone needs to, um, <laughs> but he's got a big job on his hands to kind of repair the roster now. Ferber, I'm going to ask you an interesting question, which is what did you, what did you, what didn't you hear that concerns you? Right. We can, this is my question, you know, basically on every, you know, every signing day press conference I ever went to, which was basically, um, Hey, everybody loves their signing class. Everybody loves, their signing class. Okay, well, what did, where were your misses? What, what were some of the issues that you have that you didn't address? What did you not hear Monday? Uh, specifics about staff. And I don't expect him to answer those questions right now. Um, it would have been nice to know a little bit more about what his plans are. And we've certainly gotten that at times from coaches and press conferences. But, you know, Bronco didn't really get into specifics except to say he was able to bring who he wanted to bring. Um I think it's interesting that he's going to sort of evaluate the current staff and, and see where things are before he makes any decisions, or at least that's what he's saying. So, I mean, you know, he's got a perfect opportunity to do that with bowl practices coming up and he can also interview guys. And he said that he's going to talk to current players about what they think of the staff and, you know, who might be a good fit for his staff, all that good stuff. That's all good to hear. Um, I just, uh, and this is not his fault. This is not really Carla Williams fault. This is, nobody's fault really um they're just kind of in a, in a tough spot right now um recruiting just because they don't have a staff in place and it's hard to get i mean they could maybe privately tell recruits who's going to be on the staff but um it's not going to be as like outwardly accessible to people if they don't know who the coaches are unless they ask um i think that this will be taken care of in time and i think it kind of speaks to a larger thought that i have which is um I think I'm really excited about this hire. I think it was a good hire. Um, one of the guys that certainly at the top of my list. Um, and I thought that he was very impressive on Monday. I thought he said all the right things and um, seems to get it on a lot of levels. Um, but I think UVA fans have to kind of give it time because I think there's going to be some ups and downs in the process early on. Um, you know, you know how many guys are already in the transfer portal. They signed what, like 10 guys today. Um, they had a bunch of decommits. Uh, I think that there's going to be some ups and downs over the next few months as he tries to build this thing. Like maybe, um, one or two of these guys that you really want to come back out of the portal. Don't maybe a guy goes pro that you were hoping doesn't go pro. Um, maybe they don't keep a coach that you want them to keep, or maybe they bring in a guy that's a little confusing, you know, why they brought that person in. But I think ultimately I trust this guy to get it right over time. Um, it's just going to, I think it's going to be a little bit of rough sailing at first while he tries to build a roster that has a lot of holes with depth. Um, but first he's got to build the staff so that he can go out and do that. I'm pretty confident that they'll have some good signees in February. I think they'll go out and try to get some guys and I think they'll mine the transfer portal, but I think that there's probably going to be some disappointment along the way in terms of guys deciding to go play elsewhere or, um, maybe like recruiting setbacks or, or whatever it might be. But I think ultimately it'll work out because I think they have the right guy in place. I feel like in the big scheme of things, 
you know, introductory press conferences are, are, are seen as like, you know, the coach, you, you got to win the press conference, right? You got to win the press conference. And that's the whole thing about, you know, sometimes hires. I think I even said that about Tony, like, Hey, he's going to win the press conference. Um, I, I don't know if we've ever lived in a time where winning the press conference mattered like less than it does now. And yet at the same time, you did feel like maybe because there were a, a number of alumni there, it did feel like that, that there was a little bit of a, um, maybe a patching of a hole or something, you know, maybe like a, a building of a bridge almost. Damon, you got to talk to a number of folks about Tony Elliott and about, um, you know, what that, you know, what that means, what his, what his hire means for the program and, and, and the excitement level that people have. What stood out to you about some of the conversations you had, be those players, current, former, however you, you slice it. Uh I think Nick Jackson's enthusiasm and Lavelle Davis's enthusiasm kind of jumped out at me right away. Lavelle Davis had been recruited by Elliot when, uh, when he was coming out of high school in South Carolina. Um, so yeah, I, I think they were two of the representatives, Brendan Armstrong as well. I should include in there. Everybody I think has watched a video on the website about his, his uh, excitement, but I think, I think they kind of personified the sense that that you got that the entire team, they certainly made it sound like everybody walked out of that meeting on Sunday uh, reinvigorated and, and and reignited, I think was the word I used earlier uh, about it. But the other conversation I thought was really interesting was, uh, and I think uh, most people probably read it, was Chris Slade, had he, he, he talked about, he thought... Um, he thinks Tony Elliott's the perfect choice. And he explained about how he had a couple of, of uh, offensive linemen who wound up at Georgia, Andrew Thomas being one of them who's now in the NFL was a top five pick. And um, Tony Elliott would come through and recruit those guys uh, at, at his school at Pace in Atlanta. And he got to know him pretty well throughout the course of that experience uh, of, of those recruitments. And for, based on that experience, he felt like UVA got the perfect guy. And that's that's Dex included. And I know it felt like a lot of people, it felt like they were making a concerted effort on Monday to bridge that gap and make it clear to Tony Elliott that, hey, um, all these former players might have been campaigning for Dex, but you're our guy now and you have our support. And I think Chris Slade... Uh, being a spokesperson is is probably a, a smart move, a savvy move because he could he he couldn't have have gushed more about what he thought about Tony Elliott, and that was coming from experience. Mm -hmm. And then you talk to Sean Moore, and Sean Moore says, "Yeah, I got I got a report from Slade on this guy, and I was sold before even meeting him. And then after meeting him, it's the same thing. These these guys are all they're all on board and." And I think they're making a concerted effort to eliminate any potential awkwardness or weirdness because of what unfolded the week in between when Bronco stepped down and when Elliot was hired. Um, I think we all agreed. And I think you even said this earlier that had they just hired Tony Elliott the day after Bronco stepped down, everybody would, everybody would have been like, Oh, this is a great hire. It's just things got a little awkward there in the middle because there was that camp that was really vocal and outspoken about wanting Dex. And I think I think the alumni want to make it clear to Tony Elliott that they don't hold it against him for not being Dex. 
which is, I think, obviously a smart move. And I think Tony Elliott's smart enough to continue bridging that, building that bridge in the other direction and just strengthening the relationship between you get, you got the sense that he definitely values those alumni and those relationships and wanting to embrace the legacies of those guys and this football program. So I remember when Bronco first got here and, and he did a whole lot to repair relationships and, and build bridges with alumni. I think one of the things Tony Elliott's going to do is continue strengthening those bonds uh, in the hope that it just continues to generate interest and excitement and quite frankly, uh, donations. Um, but, but, but I think that's not his primary motivation for this. And, and I don't think it's the primary motivation for those former players either on the other side of it. I think they just want him to know that they, that he has their full support. And I think that that was the message on Monday from the alumni. The funny thing about to me about this whole deal is, you know, with Dex and, you know, the alums, I mean, like it makes sense why at the time so many of them were pushing him so hard because, you know, he he's their guy. Right. And they all understand that he's someone who understands what Virginia football is all about, what you know, what they think of when they think of Virginia football. For a lot of people, I think Dex is a guy who he it's almost like he was um he was more potential than anything else. But I think for a lot of people, it was hard to separate the idea of what what you would have to do to reach that potential. With Tony, and because of his bona fides, and because he's just in such a dramatically different you know situation in terms of his coaching career than where Dex is, there's a lot that you can be excited about, and it's more tangible, right? Yeah, Dex comes back. It's, it's a hometown hero's welcome, right? It's basically like um, coming home again, and there's everything that goes with that. Um, and like I joked about last week, I wrote a hell of a column about it. But I, I think when you think of what Tony Elliott's done in his in his um, tenure, you know, in, in, in terms of his time as a coach, when you think about sort of what he's seen, he is so well prepared for this type of opportunity. Granted, it's at a school that's very different than Clemson. There's a lot that's going to be harder for him, especially, you know, when it comes to, you know, he can he can have the the, the scheme all he wants, but you're not going to get especially initially, you're not going to get the athletes uh, to, to play in it, um, you know, that you had when you were when you were down there. So what do you do? Um, at the same time, I feel like in some ways, granted, like I said, there were a lot of alumni who were pushing for decks, but certainly you can get excited about somebody, um, somebody else when you understand like, hey, look, that didn't work out, but the future is here. I, I don't think this will be as big an issue uh, in a month, in three months, in six months, in a year, as it feels like it was, you know, you know, this last couple weeks or this last week or so. God, I don't even know how long it's been. It feels like forever. Um, but I, I do think that the decks of it all will fade. Um, and ultimately, you can talk all you want about, you know, building a program, this and that. If you win, nobody cares, right? If you do it, you know, you're not, you know, sitting there, you know, getting in NCAA trouble every five minutes. But if you win, people, they, you know, but Bronco and his, in some of his weirdness, right? Um, which, you know, probably rest in peace to the number draft, rest in peace to the rock, rest in peace to all these like little, you know, sayings that Bronco had. Um, but like we're all sad. of that, yeah. out. Um, it's like all of those things, like people were cool with it as long as they were winning, but you know, it got whack when, you know, they're not. Um, and that's just, that's just humanity, right? That's just the nature of the beast. So speaking of the nature of the beast, signing day came, 
Um, it arrived. Virginia lost a, a, a slew of uh, of guys in the portal and then lost some commitments as well, including a couple of um, pretty highly rated guys. Um, Brody Meadows, obviously, flipping to Tech. Um, you know, that's a tough that's a tough beat for the Who's on, on that one because he was one of the, the higher rated guys in their class. Um, we got to talk about the way that the signing day sort of happened, though. Dave, in, in the pantheon of things you expected to see when, you know, before Bronco resigned, could you ever envision two head coaches talking about the class the way that, and, and then to see basically like Virginia just kind of doing its own video with them as opposed to like an actual press conference? No, I mean, it, felt, it was so weird, man. I think I tweeted you guys. Yeah, I mean, I texted you guys the, the videos when they popped up on YouTube today. It was just bizarre. Um, yeah, I, I've never seen anything like I can't, I can't. Even during COVID, it wasn't that weird, you know? Um, it was just a very awkward thing. The, the whole process is awkward. Um, you know, the weird thing is, I mean, I knew we'd talk about signing day a little bit today. Um, look, there's a lot of misses. Um, you know, obviously Meadows flipping, Burgess flipping, losing Brown and the McKinsey guys, the McKinsey twins um, and the Gentry. That's a lot of talent out of that class. Um, now, granted, you know, at least Brown and well, Gentry's coming off a, you know, he's been committed for two years, but Brown's probably a, a mission guy. And a, I'm not sure about the twins, but um, so, we, you know, they weren't going to be expected to, to help you next year. But um, yeah, I think there's been so much talk about who you lost. Like, I like the weird thing is I do like almost everyone that's coming in. I think they're all great players. Um, you know, like you were joking earlier about what you asked coaches in the, Sunday presser like I, I like the guys they got um mm-hmm. but I, I don't know of too many successful recruiting classes that involve zero defensive linemen and zero offensive linemen um, so yeah Holmes <laughs> yeah. they lost Holmes too yeah um yeah and that's bad and you know I kind of I started an exercise today kind of putting the roster together for next year there's one defensive tackle on the roster um and the defensive ends like there's there's a few of them but there's not a lot of proven guys there and the offensive line you know, with Olu out there still and some rumor, yeah, I, I don't, you know, we don't, we don't know who's going to come back to who's, who's eligible. You know, Nelson could come back theoretically. So Boda could, um, but with Bissinger in the portal, um, Olu in the portal, like if you don't get those guys back, it's going to, there, there are a lot of deficiencies. So Tony's going to have to, I mean, I, I think they put out an offer tonight to a transfer, um, offensive lineman so they obviously are starting to, they recognize that too but they did yeah yeah so i mean they've got i think three total out to offensive linemen right now one of them doesn't look very likely the other one looks less likely by the day um but yeah they're they need some bodies and they did not address that and like i don't know how you could address it and i'm sure we're going to talk about it but they're you know, obviously you've got a coaching change an unexpected coaching change like you know i had some People, you know, some friends of mine saying, hey, well, you know, Tech had a coaching change and they put together a class. Well, Tech, everyone knew that change was coming. And they had two plus weeks to get rid of it. Um, and there may have not been any sabotage inside the building going on. So, you know, there's some differences. Uh, Damon, I want to go back to you for a second. The, the class as it's currently constructed, what stands out to you other than the fact that there's only eight dudes in it or nine dudes in it? Like what, what stands out to you about the group that they actually signed? I thought it was interesting. Uh, I thought it was really interesting listening to Bron- listening to Bronco in that video today, talking about we want this and we like that, and I- and Bronco's not going to coach these guys. Um, so like 
these are all guys who were recruited to fit what the outgoing coaching staff looks for in players. So it'll be interesting to see how they get folded into. And again, we don't really know the answer to this. We don't really know what Tony Elliott's looking for in, uh, in offensive players, uh, in defensive players. So I don't know. I thought it was just interesting that, that are they bringing in a bunch of square pegs for round holes with this class but again, if Marcus Hagen sticks around, then it makes sense to to uh, then you don't care about bringing in these big receivers because they fit the template of what they're looking for, and we know he can coach those guys up and develop them into uh, impact players. So, but yeah, Dave, like Dave mentioned, no offensive lineman, no defensive lineman. This is such a unique situation. It's so like like comparing it to Tech just is completely unfair for all the reasons Dave said. Plus, there's also the variable that just most coaching changes don't have in that so many of the guys who were recruited here in previous classes who are in the portal now, so many of the guys who we saw leave this class, um, Joe Brown and the McKenzie twins in particular, they were coming here to play for Bronco and his culture. And, and, yep. and there, there was that connection. There was that faith-based connection that, that they had that that's just unique to this situation. So yeah, they weren't I mean, coming here to go to UVA necessarily. Right. Exactly. They, they were coming to be a part of that culture, to be a part of that family, so to speak. And so when that family's going in separate ways, yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody should have been surprised. Gentry's another example. Um, it shouldn't have been a surprise that any of these guys sort of sort of decided to go go in a different direction. So I think, I mean, I know everybody looks at this class and says, oh, they only signed 10 guys. Um, what's going on here? But I think you can't, if you're, if you're going to grade it, you can't give it anything but an incomplete because there's still that second signing day in February. Uh, and, and Tony Elliott, I'm sure it, it, he's probably working in tandem, getting a staff together. And as soon as he gets that staff together, they're working on getting that the rest of this class together. And so, uh, yeah, it doesn't look great right now from a numbers perspective and from um, a roster depth perspective. Plus he's working on hopefully getting some of these guys in the transfer portal to possibly stick around. Um, but, and you never know, he might've been like some of these guys who backed out and committed elsewhere. Uh, he, he might've looked at him and said, okay, I don't know how much that guy would have helped us anyway. And that's another roster spot, another scholarship that he can use instead on somebody that he targets and somebody that he and his new staff would like. So, so I think, I think short-term things might not be all that hot. It, it might not be the greatest look, but, but I think it's, it's just being short-sighted in, in looking at it from that perspective. And there are a lot of things that can change between now and February and a lot of things that can change between now and next September um, wh when Tony Elliott's actual first UVA team takes the field but but also i should probably mention that that i'm i think some of these guys are going to be pretty good football players i'm excited to see what xavier brown looks like in this offense uh he was all kinds of fired up when they hired tony elliott because he knew they that he coached travis Etienne and developed travis Etienne. uh i'm excited to see what those big receivers look like uh some of the stuff bronco said about gay today was, was intriguing uh, and different ways that they, that the outgoing staff would have used him. So I don't know. 
I think, yeah, I understand why there are concerns and, and why there are questions, but this is such a unique situation. There, it's, it's, it's to you just have to kind of let the let the dice continue to roll here for for a little bit and, and see how this unfolds over the coming months, because this is just kind of step one of the process and it's going to take some time. One thing I think of, you know, that look, timing is everything, right? And one of the one of the downsides to Tony Elliott wanting to be, you know, so meticulous. He's a meticulous sort of um, sort of guy. And one of the answers that I was interested to get your, you know, the various perspectives on was his answer about the staff, and that essentially, you know, he wants to take his time now. I understand when you're hired, you know, the weekend basically before signing day that you can't put your your staff together and really convince a bunch of kids either to stay in the fold or to flip and join the fold, right? Um, but it's very clear to me that, you know, starting tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of staff movement all over the country, right? Um, that's typically the way these things work. Um, you know, one of the things about the signing process now um, is not really a signing day. Um, it's a process is if you are a, you know, a coach at a school where you just got hired or you're at, or you are a fan of a school who has had coaching turnover, you know, there's a lot of time left on the clock. You know, there aren't a whole lot of dudes in the pond. Right. Um, but certainly be, through the portal and certainly through, you know, traditional recruiting, you can do a lot in a short amount of time. Um, forever, I, I kind of feel like, one of the one of the things that would really help them is if they if they thought they were going to retain some of these coaches, like for example, Biscuit, right? If you thought you were going to retain Biscuit, you make that announcement now, and you not only solidify obviously guys, you know, maybe he's recruiting, but you also you you give that thing some juice. How long do you think they can wait? Um, especially given that they only have you know such a small class, you know, to Dave's point, you're not, not going to have any linemen in there. How long do you think they can wait before they start making some official announcements and actually saying like, hey, this guy's going to be on the staff? I mean, it sounds to me like he's going to kind of wait a little while um, just based on what he said about evaluating and giving everybody a fair shake and all that kind of stuff. I'm not naive enough to think he's not going to have stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, and we'll probably start to get some word, but word doesn't mean you can go out and recruit, you know? Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that's, I don't think it's as big of a deal right now because signing day is now come and gone. There was not much they could do about that. Now you have, what's the day? The 15th, right? So we got the rest of this week, two days, and then a weekend. And then next week you're into the holidays. People are going to be focused on that, right? And then you have the bowl game on the 29th. So two weeks from today, you can, you can go to work with that new staff the next day if you're ready to go, or at least partial, you know, partial staff if it's not completely done. Um, and, and I think that's fine. I mean, you still have a month and, and change before the next signing day, you can start working guys in the portal. The big thing is you're sort of, um, and I think he might've actually said this in the press conference, priority number one really should be like recruiting your own locker room. Um, and, and trying to make sure that you touch base with everybody on the team, make sure they feel good about what's happening. You know, if you have some staff changes to share with them, they don't necessarily need to be made public, but they can, you know, kind of give players a heads up on on what the thought process is um especially if they're going to keep a guy or two you know like make those guys feel like they have a place going forward that they're going to be taken care of they're going to have a good shot to to make an impact on the field with the new staff 
Um, you also have to try to get some of your guys back out of the portal. If you feel like they're a good fit. Um, I think that's important. You know, you can lose some guys in the portal, but I don't think you want to lose 17 guys or whatever it is now. Um, and then obviously like Brendan Armstrong is, is another priority, you know, trying to, if he hasn't already decided what he's going to do, you know, trying to convince him that um, another year in, in his offense is, is going to be a good thing. Um, unless he decides, you know, he just wants to go pro and there's not much else that can be done about it. Uh, you know, the fact that he said he's not going to transfer is, is there certainly a good step in the right direction for UVA. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is kind of where we are. So I think the next couple of weeks will be sort of a wash. Um, but you know, you definitely want to, I think you definitely want to have that staff in place in about two weeks or so, um, and going into January when you can really start to get out and recruit and, and get to the guys in the portal and do all that stuff. To that point you made, Justin, like literally there is no one available right now that is a bigger recruit than Brendan Armstrong and, and Olu. Like, right. If he can get those two guys, if it takes a week and that's his focus and he gets them to commit, that's a huge win. Um, and then you start working your way down to the transfer portal. Look, there's some guys who's not, who are not a great fit for what Tony does offensively. Um, and then you're always going to have the guys that are just like, Hey, I'm not playing and I'm going to go play somewhere smaller. Um, yeah, of course. And those guys, that's going to happen anywhere. And some of those guys, like, it's like, all right, that's cool. Like even with a new staff, you're probably not an ACC player. Like it is what it is. Yeah. I kind of think in some ways with the portal and certainly, you know, normally what you're doing is you're, you're going in the portal to fill a hole that you, you have on your existing team because of the timing of the coaching change, because of the sort of abruptness of it, because, you know, a lot of guys obviously got advice to go ahead and get in there, keep their options open. You're you're what Virginia almost needs to do to Dave's point. It's not just, you know, get in the portal. It's basically, you know, to essentially recruit your own guys out of the portal, get them to, conf you know, to basically commit to coming back for next year, because then it does change the calculus on what you need and how you need it. Um, I mean, listen, the reality is, is that because of the portal, Virginia is going to be able to fill those spots. The question is, what do they fill them with? And if you can fill them with guys who, who have experience, but also fit what you want to do. Um, I mean, does anybody really doubt that Brennan can, can play in the scheme? I mean, I don't, um, does anybody doubt that that Olu can 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 play in the scheme? I don't, right? Like there, you know, to to your point, there are some maybe some guys who you know it probably be, it's in their best interest to not come back, um, and and we've already seen you know Jelani Woods go ahead and, and declare for the NFL draft and um, that kind of thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple of guys who Virginia wants that they won't get back, um, but I think the sooner you can get that process completed the better because that opens up the chance you don't have a whole lot of time, you know, before, you know, the real rubber meets the road. Um, and I, and I feel like one of the things that Tony is going to have to excel in, he's really going to have to lean on, you know, that, you know, maybe we, we talk a lot with Bronco and organization this and, you know, um, uh, succession planning that, but when, when your coach drops a bomb in the middle of your, um, you know, your, your post, season finale regular season finale week you know like he was out on the road recruiting and then just one day was like yep i'm done i mean we i don't think we've really processed just how wild that is you know like it's one thing for a coach to get fired everybody knew joseph winte wasn't going to be back at tech next year right but bronco was not somebody who any any was on anybody's radar as like a guy who was gonna get fired certainly 
um, maybe you know we as we talked about before, maybe he's a guy who who would decide, you know what, I don't I don't think this is really what I want to do anymore. Um, but there are so many um, sort of tremors that come from that that earthquake that it's it's difficult to to sort of game it out and say, oh, well, if he had a staff together by X, you know what I mean. Like it's going to be a process, regardless of when he gets that staff together. I, I do think though that it would be helpful if he had a couple of guys um, who were already in place that everybody knew were coming back. Um, and depending on who those guys were, I mean, heck, if if you if Jason backs one of those guys, I hell, I could see Brennan saying, okay, fine, I'm coming back. Um, you know, if Two J's one of those guys, I could see Olu saying, okay, cool, I'm coming back. Um, now, I'm not saying you should hire coaches to bring dudes out of the portal. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you had those decisions made, it would have a, you know, pretty decent impact. Um, let's just wrap, let's wrap up here. I I, I want to ask everybody the same question. <sighs> I feel like it's been a very tumultuous um, time. I mean, I feel like everything was cooking until that third down pass of the offensive lineman and everything that has come down since Haskins, you know, caught that ball has just felt completely uh, like out of sync, right? Everything just feels, yeah. you know, out out of whack. Another um, way to look at it is it, the turning point was like the end of the Georgia Tech game. Yeah, no, completely. When it was when like they had it won and then they had to like sweat it out. And then it was like, all right, whatever, on to BYU. And then it was just all downhill. Yeah, it never, yeah, that's true. It, the, the end of the Georgia Tech game, yeah, it, it really never kind of got itself back straight. Um, yeah, I think. Not to disrupt your question, but I think everyone kind of jokes about the Haskins pass, myself included. But when you think of her, think about her from the end of that Georgia Tech game through the Virginia Tech game, which the only reason the Haskins pass happened is because Virginia Tech gifted them a chance to get back in that game. Um, so like, and then they were had to pump block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was God. It went quick. It did. So my question though was i mean we haven't even we normally would do like a, almost like a season post-mortem but this has been such a weird end of the end of the you know the regular season there's still a bowl game to play like damon and i were talking about this last night and about you know, you know the, the bowl game and and the storylines and stuff like that's a thing that's still going to happen and i i can't even tell you like how weird that feels to me like the weirdest I, UVA bowl game I can ever remember, like there being. I mean, it almost feels like it's in a parallel universe or something. I, I don't I know. Remember. It feels a little Micron PC bowl, like Welsh's last bowl game. Yeah, that's, I was going I mean, to say that's kind of what it feels. I, because I, I, I look at this thing and I think, you know, so so now you have just think about the logistics of this, right? Now you have a new head coach who is, as he to to his own state, very public admission. He's going to be evaluating the current coaches for potential possibilities of joining his staff based on what he sees, you know, over the course of these weeks and talking to players and, you know, whatever. So you have essentially some assistant coaches who are, for all intents and purposes, coaching for their potential jobs, right? All right. You have a head coach who clearly, you know, he's decided, you know what, this isn't for me. He, I'm not saying he's going to be like, hey, you guys figured out I'm going to, you know, watch TV. I'm just saying that, like, it's a different sort of drive, right? Bronco, if let's say he, he was coming back in 2022, his focus, and, and especially in these practices and stuff, would be dramatically different than it's going to be now. Right. I think we can all agree on that. Like, even if he's doing the best he can for the guys in the program, it's just not the same. It just can't be. It, it literally can't be. So you've got a coach who is, is you know, 
planning his next step, which is, you know, to take some, if nothing else, either to retire or take some time off at the very least. You have a number of assistant coaches who are not going to be back, and they have to know they're not going to be back. Some of these dudes are not going to be back, right? And so there's the possibility, I mean, like, look, they're humans, right? Then you've got players who, you know, some of these guys who are seniors, like, what must they feel like, right? Like, especially these dudes who came back for an extra year, and this is how it went, and the last whatever has been so weird. It This is, quite frankly, the oddest bowl game that anybody could concoct because not only is it all the things I mentioned, but, like, there's, you know, the whole 10% Bronco rule, right? Like, everything with, you know, with Broncos is a little bit different. So you've got all of these, you know, factors at play. And, I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask everybody this question. Would you rather just skip the bowl, bowl game and move on and have Tony Elliott moving on with his staff, moving into his office, all the guys who aren't coming back, moving out of theirs so he can get moving? Do you think that there's a lot of, like, benefit to playing the bowl game? Um, Damon, let's start with you. What's your, what's your feeling on the bowl game? Is it just too weird for words and you'd rather just skip ahead to the future? Or do you want to see this thing play out, give Bronco his, his last ride in Boston? Random. And then, you know, move on to the future? Uh, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody about it last week. They probably should have just opted out of the bowl game from, from the outset. As soon as Bronco made his decision that he wanted to step down, uh, I mean, I just so much of the weirdness that has ensued since then with, 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 with guys entering the transfer portal and recruits it's just it would i almost feel like they'd have been better off just just uh opting out of the bowl game letting bronco and his staff move on and, and chart their next course and get a new coach in place and allow that coach to be able to get get to work right away and get started right away and, and just just it, it just I don't know. It, it's almost in the way at this point is the way it feels like the bowl game. It's, I, I mean, Tony Elliott's here, but he's meeting with Bronco every morning and he's watching practice. Once they start practice, he'll be watching practice. And, but it's just, it's just like we said at the beginning, things are still almost in a holding pattern until after, until after this bowl game. And, and yeah, so I, I, I mean, I feel like from the moment Bronco announced that he was stepping down or had reached that decision, I feel like it just would have been a better move to just opt out of a bowl game and say, all right, we're done here. Let's everybody can go their separate ways and figure out what comes next. For what do you think? Do you, do you, do you, are you of the mindset that you would like to just, you know, sim the rest of the, the Bronco era? Uh, a move on to, to Tony and company, or do you want to see this thing happen in, in uh, Fenway? Uh, I, I'd probably rather see it happen. Um, I definitely think it's weird. I definitely think it's going to be kind of like a half-ass sort of effort. I don't think, I mean, I think the players will play hard, but I think it, just the whole thing is weird. Um, I can't imagine Broncos going to like have them as prepared as they would be for a different bowl game, but I think that he's earned the shot to to get one more shot at a win and try to go out with a win, given all the hard work that him and his staff have put in. If that's what they want to do, you know, go out and do it. UVA also had to opt out last year of a bowl game, so the players didn't get the chance to go to a bowl game. Um, and, and there is a lot of fun activities and things that go with that. You know, I think that the players usually enjoy those trips. Um, 
it's another chance to kind of go out with a winning season, send Bronco out. Right. Um, also, I think it's an advantage to Tony to be able to see these guys practice, even if he's just watching, um, because the alternative isn't like he gets to lead a practice. The alternative is everybody's at home for winter break and he doesn't even get to really meet with them. Yeah, probably. that's a really fair point. Um, at least now he gets to kind of like see what's going on and, you know, kind of get an idea. Um, I definitely understand like the concept of it being weird and kind of like what purpose is it serving? But I mean, I think you can say that about a lot of whole games. Um, you know, some teams barely try. Um, I've certainly seen that happen with other teams, um, in the past. So, I mean, I think it, it, but it's an opportunity for them to go out and, you know, try to do something. Um, also like selfishly, I'm not going to complain about getting one more game. We only get football for like three months out of the year. Um, besides like the build up around August and then a little bit at spring practice, um, the opportunities are few and far between to see UVA football. Um, so I'm not going to complain about that, not to mention the season that we just came off of where games are getting canceled and, you know, you were just hoping that they'd be able to play. Um, I hope that they can go out with a win. I also hope that anyone that is worried about their potential future health or anything opts out. Like I completely understand that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them play one more time. Um, probably with a mimosa since it'll be like 11 o'clock in the morning, but um, yeah, certainly a weird way to go out. That's for sure. Now, Dave, I'm going to ask you the same question. Obviously you will always want UVA to play football, right? So I, I don't mean it in, in that respect. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. ask you to sort of, we all accept that, but you can proffer that and we'll move it on. But I'm just curious, do you want to move forward and start the Tony Elliott era? Or do you want one more game to say goodbye to the Bronco era? I'm on. I've been doing a lot of mental editing here because um, I got a lot of stuff I want to <laughs> say, but I don't want a lot of it recorded, right? Yeah, um, that's the problem with the podcast. But, but to me, like, it's okay, Dave. We cut off the recording. You're you're good. <laughs> there's a bunch of guys. Look, there's a bunch of guys who came back to give their super senior year for this team to make a run at the coastal, and it didn't happen, right? But those same guys, like, wouldn't have come back if Bronco said, "Hey, it's going to be my last year, and I'm I'm going to retire right after our last game." Right. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens when a coach retires. Like where do those guys, those guys that came back for their super senior year and, and want to make the NFL, like where do they train now? Like, cause there's going to be a new strength and conditioning coach. They don't have a relationship with them. Um, the coaching staff, as soon as the bowl game's over, they're riding out to the ranch, whatever they're doing. So there's a lot of guys who committed to come back and play another year who are kind of getting left in the, in the weeds. Um, so, yeah, you should play the game for them. It's another chance for them to be seen. And and what? The bigger question to me is, why is Bronco Mendenhall coaching this bowl game? Um, and, look, that's – look, I, I like Bronco. Y'all have, have heard me for six years talk about how much I like the guy. But I, I'm not very happy with the way things have gone since he announced his resign, you know, that he was resigning. Um, yeah, I feel like it's – look, I, I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts, but, look, there's some – the way it happened just leaves a sour taste in my mouth. And I feel like the people, the very people who are getting short, you know, the short end of the stick are the people that he like lobbied to come do this with him. Um, so yeah, the guys deserve to play the bowl game. The six years who want to play get, you know, the, the super seniors get to play if they want to the other guys, like even the guys in the transfer portal have all said they want to play in the bowl game um, for the most part. So like, yeah. And then you've got the young guys on the team who we know, 
how much work they've put in this year, who maybe this they will get to play in a bowl game because someone above them is not is not playing. So yeah, the bowl game should be played. The question to me, no offense to Bronco, like he, his, his goodbye should have been when he resigned, um, just because of the way things have been handled since. So look, I'll watch the game. They win, I, you know, I'll cheer, but I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Um, and, and as much about the kids as it is as the coach at this point. This yeah, I would say like the. The one thing I will say is I'm much more interested in what's going on with the Tony Elliott era than I am with what's going on with the, with the Bronco era. Like, you know, the game is just kind of like an afterthought to yeah. what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, this is one of the downsides of 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 asking the question and, and saving myself for last because Dave sort of stole my thunder there, which is like <laughs> on the one hand, it's like Dave kept a lot very... of thunder in the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I feel like um, you know. <laughs> Thunder in the bottle. It's good. Um, on the one hand, I am very ready. I'm very ready to be done. Um, I, I think that's there's a fatigue, right, that happens with every coaching change that is in absolutely 100% impacted by the search to fill the, ne- the to find the next coach, right? And the weirdness of this whole thing, I, I would like to get back to just regular sort of run of the mill stuff. Um, you know, signing day was one. This was one of the weirdest signing days ever. Um, to the point where you've got two coaches doing press conferences, except they're not really press conferences. Um, you know, we talked about this through the week. Like they're just week. conferences. They're just conferences, right? <laughs> there's no um, press. There's just no press. Uh, we talked about like, hey, who's going to do it? Is it going to be him? Is it going to be him? And then ultimately, they chose both. Um, you know, you've got. At the same time, you've also got like a it's like a there's a press conference to introduce a new coach where you've got multiple players who are in the portal there to be interviewed, which I'm not look, it's great like that. Brendan Armstrong. Great. But my point is, is like there's just so much weirdness around the program right now that just having like a regular Tuesday wouldn't be a bad thing. Right. Um, And I, I absolutely positively am not interested in terms of like having to hear stories about the, you know, like, Oh, this, you know, because you know, TV is going to just, Oh, it's going to be gross. Right. The, the way they beat you over the head with like everything. Um, now that being said, Dave's point about the players, that's, that's what I've been thinking about, which is on the one hand, it's like, personally, I want to move forward. I want to sim the rest of this, get to the Tony, uh, Elliot, I almost said Bennett, Tony Elliot, uh, portion of the program and, and see what happens. Right. There's a lot to be excited about, but right now it feels like you're not allowed to be excited because you're not really there yet, right? It's like almost like until you get to December 30th, you know, none of us, none of the excitement really can take shape. Um, But it's the players that I keep thinking about. It's the guys who not only came back, but the guys who played all season. It's not their fault that Bronco decided to quit, right? Like it's his, it's his prerogative. Don't get me wrong. He's allowed to, to decide what job he does and doesn't want to do. I'm not saying he, he, sh- he shouldn't do it if he wants to do it. I'm just saying like a lot of these kids, they came to play football. It, the season, you know, they had some you know, moments where you thought it was going to go the way you wanted it to. And then it fell apart. And now they're having to what hang around and play this game. And at the same time, today's point, like this is the, this is the opportunity for them to sort of, for a lot of these guys to, you know, sort of almost like showcase themselves. Right to like put it on film to to have that one more go, and I'm a lot more interested in like you know those guys last game as as Wahoos as I am Bronco his last game coaching it. But you can't have one without the other, and luckily I, I'm not 
I'm not quite I don't have quite enough fatigue to basically cancel out like wanting these guys to have the chance to play one more game. Um, certainly the staff and 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 there's a lot of stuff, you know, in terms of you you got some coaches who are certainly not coming back and what are they doing during the bowl, you know, like I I I I I'm wondering like how, what does this mean to them? Like do, does it mean anything? Does it mean a lot? Like I don't know. Um I I think it's human to think like that while we're sitting here thinking to ourselves, like, would it be better to just send this and get to the Tony Elliott sort of period? Like, aren't they like thinking to themselves like, Hey, I'm trying to figure out what my next move is while I'm also trying to, you know, figure out this bowl game in Fenway park. Like, I I mean, the the assistant coaches that aren't going to be back should absolutely be focused primarily on where they're going to be next year. Yeah. Like more so than the game. It's yeah. their careers. And I feel like, I feel like if they, if, if that's, and that's one of the things I was kind of getting at earlier. Like if Tony had, had come out and said like, Hey, I'm going to retain X, Y, and Z, then you could have those guys and they understood. And so that's, that's the way that is. And then you have the other guys who, uh, Hey, I'm trying to find a job and maybe you have somebody else coaching up those positions. Right. But at the same time, like I said, it, the players did not ask for this. Like they don't, you know, they don't deserve, you know, and this is the way the NCAA system sort of just always works, right? That they they get the brunt of whatever happens with a coach, right? You know, this coach decided to pay off, you know, five recruits. Well, now we can't go to a bowl game. Great, thanks, right? Like, as long as you weren't one of the five, I guess. Um, there's a lot that players have to just take the brunt of, and it's not their fault. And I, I, I want them to have the opportunity to, to close out their career. It's just, it's impossible to, to, to bifurcate that from everything else that's associated with it. So I, I, I will very, very, very like just the smallest, you know, advantage to playing the game for the guys, but I will not be sad once we get to the Tony Elliott era and we can sort of all move forward. Cause I think that's ultimately um, the way humans work. All right. I think that is a very good place to put a pin in it. Um, at some point, we're going to do a podcast that's not an hour long, but it's not going to be today. If you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating and review, we appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who has found the pod, but you've not given us a look, uh, given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at CapsCorner.com. Let's see. Right now, we got uh, Damon's got a story about recapping um, a relatively quiet signing day, um, which is probably the nicest headline he's ever um, put on something of, of this nature. Um, we got the coach reactions that it's plural is crazy to me. There's obviously you know the videos uh, from Monday. Nick Jackson talking about Tony Elliott. We got Ola Watini talking about his options. Uh, we got Brendan Armstrong talking about you know stay or go. Um, we you know that uh, he mentioned. Um, Chris Slade, so there's a their alumni piece of it. Um, so lots to lots to dive into on the website, and certainly lots to look forward to as well as um, the coaching staff sort of gets fleshed out here in the next few days and weeks. Um, let's see. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. My my thanks to Andy and company for their support of the show and of the website. And again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. And of course, Dave Ferber and Damon for giving graciously their time as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence, Justin Ferber and Damon Dilbin, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.